Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, December 13th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by military correspondent Manny Fabian and religions reporter Judah Ari Gross. Hello, good morning to you both. Hi, good morning. Morning, Jessica. Today we'll discuss the investigation into the killing of a 16-year-old Palestinian girl, how Israelis really feel about the religion and state demands being made by some of the parties in the new government, catfishing from Gaza, and a mom's trip to Israel of mostly Russian and Ukrainian women. Before we jump into it all, let's take a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachuklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Let's get started. 16-year-old Jana Majdi Assam Zakarna was found dead on the roof of her home on late Sunday and appears to be an accidental shooting by the IDF. What else can you tell us? So on uh, late Sunday night, border police troops and uh, Israeli soldiers entered Jenin, uh, the northern West Bank city, uh, to arrest two Palestinians who the army says are, were involved in various uh, terror activities or previously had uh, shot at soldiers. And d- during this uh, raid, per usual, there was heavy gunfire from Palestinians uh, in the city at the troops who had entered the town. This happens n- nearly every time in the past year when Israeli troops have entered. Um, so a heavy gun gun battle ensued and um, Israeli forces returned fire at Palestinians who were uh, throwing explosive devices at troops and shooting from rooftops. And during during the raid, um, a few Palestinians were reported to have been injured, and the Israeli troops left with the suspects who they arrested, and that appeared to be the end of it. But an, uh, half an hour later, this young girl uh, was found uh, on the roof of a, of a building, and she was found with a gunshot wound to her head, and the Palestinians immediately accused Israel of uh, of killing her. Now, uh, the the army investigated the case and and. Well, it's, it's still an ongoing investigation, but according to the kind of the initial probe of it, uh, it appears that a, a border police uh, sniper who um, was um, returning fire at these Palestinians on these rooftops uh, apparently shot and killed this young girl who was either observing the troops or had somehow otherwise been in the area. So uh, this army is still looking into whether or not she had been aiding the gunmen, apparently maybe probably filming the uh, troops in the area or passing of information to the gunman uh, or had just been standing next to gunman or close to gunman. Her proximity to the gunman who was shooting at the troops on, from the rooftops is not exactly clear. But regardless, uh, the army is saying that 
yes, a a uh, Israeli uh, officer did shoot and kill her. But uh, obviously the army is saying that it was uh, definitely an accident and there was no intention to shoot at someone who's unarmed or someone who's not involved in the fighting. So that's currently where it stands. Manny, I know that there's been some comments from the current government, uh, Lapid, Defense Minister Benny Gantz. What are they saying and what does that mean in light of the situation? So uh, both Lapid and uh, Gantz have issued statements saying they're sorry for this case. They they apologize for it. They uh, acknowledge that it was uh, a, a mistake of, of some kind. Um, but at the same time, it's been kind of wrapped up as this... Uh, it's still being investigated, but um, and and that maybe she was helping the uh, the gunman in the area. So there is kind of this. They're they're acknowledging it. They're expressing sorrow, but but they're also kind of saying at the same time that maybe she was involved in something. And and but they're not really justifying the shooting. I have to say that. But uh, un- unlike, I mean, I, I don't want to compare it to previous incidents, but uh, with the um, you know with Shirin Abu Akleh, who was also killed in Janin. Uh, during a gun battle with troops, uh, that took months and months for Israel to acknowledge it. she was accidentally uh, shot by uh, Israeli soldiers, and even still, Israel hasn't fully confirmed it. Uh, with this case, it only took a few hours, really, for Israel to say uh, that it was indeed a mistake and, and express sorrow over it. Whereas um, in May, with Shirin Abu Akleh, Initially, Israel first blamed the Palestinians and then said it wasn't clear and then kind of dragged it on for weeks and weeks. So there's a big difference here with this outgoing government who are immediately reacting and apologizing for it and and saying that, you know, it's terrible if she was not involved in anything. Got it. Okay, thanks for that, Manny. Judah, we've got an unsourced TV report that the ultra-Orthodox United Torah Judaism has gotten the green light to spread ultra-Orthodox measures across Israel from shutting down power plants on Shabbat to expanding gender-segregated beaches. And then there's a small Israel Democracy Institute poll showing that few Israelis support these kinds of demands and others. What's the upshot of it all? What are we looking at right now from this poll and from this unsourced TV report? Yeah, so last night, Channel 12 carried on its main broadcast this uh, report about the sort of ongoing coalition negotiations that are happening between uh presumed prime minister to be Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party and the ultra-Orthodox United Torah Judaism party. Um, As you mentioned, it included things like uh, closing power plants so that there weren't Jews working on Shabbat, the day of rest. Um, That's not necessarily particularly going to happen. None of these things are necessarily going to happen. Um, And I think we can also see this unsourced TV report as being part of the negotiations. And um, there was it was pretty poignant that both sides sort of said, well, we're still talking about it Um, and that none of this was, you know, being laid out as this is what's happening. Um, But these most recent demands, which include things, as you mentioned, you know, increasing the number of gender segregated beaches, um, imposing more religious studies on secular schools, um, things like that, um, joins a number of other demands that are already sort of in the wings um, that have been discussed sort of more publicly by the parties involved, um, including um, changing the law of return so that people um, who have just one uh, Jewish grandparent are no longer eligible to immigrate to Israel as they currently can, um, 
and doing some other changes that sort of directly affect the religion state uh, status quo in Israel. Um, so as you mentioned, the, the Israel Democracy Institute did this survey um, asking people their opinions about it. And what they found was that there was very little public support for a lot of these religion state measures. Um, it, overall, none of them got more than, you know, 30, 30, 33% um, support. Um, and even among the right wing, there was only one case you know, one issue that's been floated um, that got majority support from even just, right, you know, only polling right-wing voters. So I think it shows that there's uh, there's not broad support for a lot of the things that are being discussed by this incoming uh, coalition. It doesn't mean that it's not going to happen because that's not how, uh, how it works. Um, but it does sort of potentially keep in check some of the more expansionist um, ideas that some of the parties may have, that if they go too far, there might be um, something of a a public backlash against these things. Um, And so this, you know, potentially gives greater ammunition both to the opposition, uh, but then also to the sort of nominally secular Likud party in their negotiating that they can say, hey, people really hate this. It's going to take a lot of political capital for us to make this happen. What are you going to do for us in return? And it sort of adds, uh, definitely adds something to the to the political calculus that's going to be going on um, as this, you know, this coalition, which got uh, a decent number of seats still can fails to, to form itself into an actual government. So uh, it'll definitely be interesting to see how a lot of these things play out going forward. Definitely interesting. Thanks, Judah. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, we'll talk about Palestinians catfishing on social media. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Manny. So last week we had Palestinians posting attacks on TikTok. This week it's Gaza terror operatives attempting to contact Israelis in a process known as catfishing. What can you tell us about that? So basically, this is a kind of a tactic that's been seen uh, several times before, um, mostly by Hamas, but also other groups uh, in Gaza. But the basically the Shin Bet this week released this kind of report on these uh, social media accounts on Facebook and on Instagram, uh, who were basically operated by um, various terror group members in Gaza. Uh, and they were posing as Israeli women, so they'd be using pictures of, of real Israeli women. The names, I don't believe, were legitimate. They looked realistic, I would say. They looked like a, like a normal profile um, on the surface, and they used uh, you know pictures of you know, traditionally attractive women to kind of lure Israelis in. They would contact Israelis and then from there they would, it's unclear what they were attempting to do because I think the Shin Bet managed to get to find out in time. But I would say in the past, um, uh, they would uh, normally try to get the, the kind of the victims to download an app on their phone and then they could then, you know, spy on the information on their phone or, or access other details or maybe get them to do something for Hamas. Manny, do we know what kinds of Israelis they were attempting to contact? Do you have any idea? 
so in the past, these kind of attempts mostly targeted soldiers to try and get information on the military. This time, it was just anyone. Uh, they were contacting all different people from, from uh, you know, Jewish Israelis. Um, according to a report, I saw um, several people were contacted uh, or were in contact with these accounts. Uh, but the Shin Bet managed to step in in time and, and actually tell them to kind of break contact. Also, the, um, the Shin Bet and the cyber division at the state attorney's office um, um, basically made requests to Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, and uh, had the profiles removed uh, after a short time. So um, in this case, uh, according to the Shin Bet, little, if any, damage was was done. But in the past, we have seen... Uh, some more successful attempts by Hamas to uh, install all these kind of spyware apps on Israeli soldiers' phones and, and get information from them. So uh, this this happens quite often, and uh, the Shin Bet's always trying to trying to foil them. Um, but but this time the only the slight difference is that it was targeting just regular Israelis rather than soldiers. So it's not exactly clear what they were attempting to do with these uh, with these accounts. Got it. All right. Thanks, Manny. And finally, Judah, give us a little bit about this feel-good story, Russian and Israeli women on a momentum trip to Israel. I liked your little tagline there, mom. Uh, And some (laughs) trip. (laughs) I'm curious about the Ukrainian-Russian interaction, which I know you you write about in the story and seem to be limited, but wondering how that worked out. Just tell us about the trip and what came of it. Yeah, so Momentum is this uh, international Jewish organization that's been bringing um, women, specifically mothers, Momentum, Momentum, um, to to Israel. Um, it's normally finding people who they think you know could become more involved in their Jewish communities at home, things like that. Um, and so it started out looking specifically at women in uh, North America, and then a couple of years ago it expanded to include women sort of from around the world, but especially um, from Eastern Europe, um, from Russia and Ukraine. And up until recently, that was not a super controversial thing. Um, the last time they led one of these trips was uh, in 2019, and then COVID, pan- you know, the COVID-19 pandemic came about, um, and so they've been sort of put on hold until now. And then when they were coming back and starting up again, um, they started preparing for this about a year ago and, you know, started going through the motions of finding, you know, potential participants. And then the, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine in February 24th, 2022, um, and sort of caused the organization to have to step back and decide whether or not they were going to proceed as they usually do. Um, And after deliberating, they said, yes, we're still doing, you know, we're still doing this. Obviously, it required a good amount of uh, accommodations. Um, So, for instance, the participants who came were not allowed to bring flags, which normally they do, because normally there's a degree of, you know, the women who come from the U.S. have U.S. flags. The women who come from India have Indian flags, things like that. Um, No flags, no T-shirts with with political slogans, no wearing colors of the country's flags, things like that. Um, but the program went on as scheduled. The way it was, it was about 200 women, uh, about half of them from Russia, half of the rest from Ukraine, and then the rest from uh, Latvia, Estonia, and Germany, and then about 10 women from Israel. And they were divided up into, I think, four buses. So some of those buses were sort of all Russian women or Russians and German women. And then there was, was one bus that was mixed, you know, Russian-Ukrainian. Purposely? 
Yep. The, just that's the way it goes by organization. So one of the organizations sort of had people from both countries, and that's the way that it worked out. And I can say, speaking to some of the organizers going into it, they were petrified, um, both that it would become you know, just very uncomfortable for the participants, but also they were worried about the safety for some of the participants, especially the political climate in Russia now is it's not necessarily a good thing to have pictures of you with your arm around somebody, you know, who's clearly Ukrainian in some way. Um, and there were there were concerns about that. In the end, sort of the, the trip more or less went off without a hitch. There was a number, one of the other accommodations that, that happened was they brought along to psychologists because they recognized that there were going to be some uh, difficult moments for people. Um, and one of the organizers said, you know, the not only did they bring these psychologists along, but the psychologists ended up working overtime, basically. Um, one of the really difficult things for people was visiting Yad Vashem. Um, you know, the Holocaust has become a very poignant um, topic in terms of the war in in Ukraine. Um, and that, you know, brought up a lot of a lot of personal memories and personal associations that people have. Um, with what's going on now in, in Ukraine. But there was not the horribly awkward situation that they had feared. The, the trip kind of went off without a hitch. I spoke to a number of the participants who, you know, both said they had a, just a wonderful time and are looking forward to going back and getting back in. For Especially for some of the Ukrainian participants, it was very difficult being away from their families, mostly, you know, in most cases, it's their first time being away from their families since the start of the war. Um, and in a lot of cases, because of the power outages that are happening in the country, um, they were not able to be in contact with their family. So that was also sort of an added um, aspect of difficulty, not just being physically away, but also sort of not even being able to talk to them at some points. Um, but, you know, it was definitely a, a positive experience. I think the, all of the organizers who really were carrying a lot of concerns about how the trip would, would pay out when I spoke to them sort of towards the end of the trip, let out sort of this huge sigh of relief that like, okay, it, it happened, everything's fine. And now, um, and now they sort of carry on when they're back home, keeping them involved and maintaining those relationships going forward. Thanks, Judah, for that. And thank you, Manny, for joining us on today's Daily Briefing. We'll be back tomorrow with another Daily Briefing. In the meantime, have yourselves a good day and a good listen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.